fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew. I'm a good friend, Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm all right, man. I'm just, you know, here. Just, yeah, suffering your way through the evening with me. I feel like 90% of the time, my answer is something to the effect of so good. I don't feel that way today. I'm not so good. But I'm fine. I'm not bad. Is it just perfectly acceptable? Imperfectly acceptable. I'll accept that. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, man. I'm drinking beer. Yeah, that's. So I have a feeling everything's going to get better. It, it certainly is. And in short order. And I have two fun things. I have more fun things downstairs that I may or may not get to on the show, but there will be you know, appreciation expressed for. But I have two fun things besides beer in front of me tonight. First is the brand new Uncle Seiko Jubilee for the Alpinist. And it is good. It's real good. Yeah, you know, I think Uncle Seiko is just always making a good product. And that is no exception. It, yeah, it's not exceptional, but it's not bad. It's just, it's straight good. And for, I think they're $79 on the website, $74, under 80. Solid end link. Yeah, solid end link. Good links. Some some room for improvement on the clasp, Mm -hmm. but that's sort of something we come to expect. Some room for improvement on the end links. Again, something we've we've come to expect, right? For that price point, you're not going to get perfection. Yeah. This is good. And who knew the Alpinist would look so good on a Jubilee? I'm pleased. No, I think, yeah, I think it's great. I it, It's a lot better than um, a comparable product from Strap Code. I, I'd say that much. Yeah, but, and and it looks better than the OEM because the OEM bracelet kind of bums me out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mind the OEM bracelet. I don't like that OEM class, but I don't mind no, the OEM bracelet. I don't like it either, but what, what I want, the only upgrade between the Sarb bracelet and the Alpinist bracelet, though it's a, a multi-hundred dollar difference, is solid end links. Mm-hmm. And I was I actually had the, the SAR bracelet on here for a long time because that's just that was on top of the box when I put the bracelet back on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and and then for a sampling. For a sampling. Uh, we, we have the the Scurfa Diver One in orange here. Yeah, longtime listener, homie of the show, Gelatomancer, uh, on Instagram, if you know him. Uh sent us for for trizies an orange dial diver one and it's it's really good well he sent us something for trizies and some things for keepsies yes. so we will send back probably one can of chili <laughs> retain everything else <laughs> yeah that's right it, you know I, I that's one of my favorite things that people do when they send us a watch is they send us like local flavor so he sent us uh being from cincinnati sent us some skyline chili and some barbecue chips, which I'm blanking on the brand. I didn't recognize it. I didn't. I, I looked at it and I was like, I think I'm maybe missing something. And then I saw Cincinnati's finest on the side of the chili. And I was like, oh, duh. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I was like, Why'd you send me cans of chili? <laughs> so, so, you know, being. Now I get it. And I'm real appreciative. Package came today. And being sort of late in the day on a work day, we haven't, we haven't really had a chance to dive into that stuff. But I think uh, maybe tomorrow we'll crack some chili and do. He said that there's a chili dip 
recipe on the can. Okay. And that it's legit with Fritos. So I think maybe we just do uh, a Frito chili dip. I'm done with that. I was just going to make chili dogs for lunch tomorrow. Chili Still might. Oh, yeah. Um, we got three kids. And we're going to do you all the courtesy of not eating chips on air. Right. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, uh, I think that if we were to just like lean into obnoxious podcast behaviors, we may actually have more listeners. What I notice is that with watches, obnoxious behaviors are rewarded. No. I'll get the chips, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, g- generally we try to be polite-ish, right? I mean, we're animals. We're feral, but we're not going to eat in your ear. It, I, yeah, no, I am definitely feral. Uh, I, I remember Grippos. Oh, yeah. Grippos. So Cincinnati barbecue chips. Um, yeah, thanks, Gelato Mancer. What do you think of the Dive Run? It's everything I'd hoped it would be. It's an absolutely no frills, no bullshit, dope dive watch. You, you know, what immediately struck me about that watch is, so first, everything's fine. Everything's good. Above average, great, right? Yeah. Um, case finishing is, I'd say, spectacular. Because there's only really a few finishing touches. Yeah, case fi- yeah. case finishing is is perfectly executed. Um but the overbuilt nature of that watch is not properly demonstrated via photograph. It's also not really apparent in hand. You look at the crystal. You look at the case back. The crystal on that thing, I think, is about 18 millimeters thick. It almost certainly, yeah. And you can tell how dense it is by way of the distortion, um, it's just incredibly, it's compact. It's not a big watch. It's, I'd say it's not chunky. I mean, that compared to the Monta, it's, it's a lot chunkier. Yeah. But this, I mean, even it compared to the Alpinist is, I don't know, it's only slightly thicker. And and so it's not big. It's not overwhelming. It's not overbearing, but inside of the inside of the four corners as it were you can tell that there's just a lot of oomph. some junk up in that trunk helium escape valve obviously is a little bit of a giveaway in that regard i mean that's just a that's a serious watch it's cool i love it i do too the strap's good i think scurf is well known for having just a fantastic rubber strap and that was my initial impression as well yeah it's good rubber i need i'm gonna put it on the bracelet soon not tonight but soon (laughs) yeah cool watch obviously subcase um what 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 to say about it besides that's killer and if you're interested at all buy one because if yeah if you've seen pictures you're you're gonna be i think impressed with it in person it lands better in person than it does in pictures. Yeah. And if you're at all interested in a, a no bullshit, no frills dive watch, because it's not a, it's, it's a lovely watch. It's not elegant by any means. No, it's not supposed to be elegant. No, but it's also not like, it's not a G-Shock. It, it, yeah. Well, I was, that, that's a good point, right? Because it's not, um, it, it's not overly, um, practical e- either, right? You've got plenty of polished surface on there. Yeah. Um, it, it's not 
you know, raw, uh, it, there's nothing about it that is, feels like I'm going to hurt you with my roughness. Nope. <laughs> it's like a polished steel round G-Shock. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's, it's fascinating. I've always been intrigued by these. I'm glad to get my hands on one, but damn, that crystal's sick. Well, and I think that's why he sent them. To, what, like he a, sent it to us because you've oft talked about. Yeah. It makes me more interested in the titanium on. one. But I, I'd say I'm at like 30 degree angle to the, to the dial and it's like a straight magnifying glass. The markers are three times again. And I'm off to the side and I can't see, I can't see the crit. Fully distorted. Yeah. 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 Well, this is the time normally where I'd say we're talking about watches today because usually at this stage of the show, we have not talked about watches, but, but today we've talked about a lot of watches already. Mostly only. So should we now talk about like kids soccer and stuff? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like then last, we'll just flip flop. Yeah, we'll just circle the back. Last the, our whole episode minutes. actually is just bullshit. <laughs> we are talking about watches, and we're doing a weird episode. We're gonna do an early, a premature, perhaps. Is it that premature though? There's, it, I, I think, I think our timing is perfect. And here's how mm-hmm. I'm gonna pitch it. We're gonna do an early 2021 year in review, and. Our goal, our our uh, our attempted uh, goal here, is going to be to elicit your feedback. Now, whether that is to vibe or to pivot on things that we've said today, or to alert us to things that we should have said today that we haven't, um, I think it might make sense for us to revisit this whether that's for a full episode or for a segment in a future episode mm-hmm. to complete our year in review um, because we're just people and we read the things we read and not other things and listen to the things we listen to and have conversations but we're going to sort of talk about some industry stuff yeah some watch some watch, some non-specific watch stuff, some themes, as well as some watches that I think for our parts are maybe the most interesting. Maybe not m- our favorites. Got our motors running, if you will. But maybe the most interesting watches in our world because there's been lots of interesting watches this year that aren't in our world that we're not going to talk about. And a lot of shitters. Yeah. <laughs> as per the usual. Yeah. As per the usual. Yeah. What do you think? What do you want to kick us off with here? Can can we start with some big acquisitions? Yes. And when you say big acquisitions, are you referring to your new show pard? Yeah. That's a big acquisition. It is. I have three mortgages (laughs) and but one home. You're talking about a different acquisition, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about the Hodinky. Crown and Caliber pre-owned marketplace that became one. Yeah, yeah, this has been an interesting year for pre-owned for the pre-owned market, right? 
Well, it's been a shit show for the pre-owned market. <laughs> you know, actually, that's maybe good context. I think the second bullet point on our list today has to do with the continued sort of dominance, the the, the entrenching of the big four being Rolex, Paddock, Adamar, and then Richard Mill, I think, mm-hmm. it is also in there, although I think that they're a they, they're a bit of a sore thumb in that group. But the sort of entrenching of those four brands in light of the pandemic. They really doubled down. They started punching down, I think. Yeah, it, it's hard for me to understand what exactly is happening there because I don't think that the business practices have changed all that much. Certainly not for Paddock, Audemars, and Richard Mille. I mean, yeah. these brands are making, I think, between the three of them, fewer than 100,000 watches a year. Oh, easy. Richard Mille is making like 5,000, and then Paddock maybe 50, and Audemars about the same, maybe just a little bit less. Yeah. So it's not a lot of watches. But And Rolex, if, if you look at the shelves, they make like two. Well, that's interesting because yeah. Rolex, I think, isn't real transparent about his numbers. But the estimates I've seen are that Rolex normally makes about a million watches. And then last year, maybe made closer to 800,000. So so fewer watches by Rolex being manufactured, maybe, maybe 20% fewer. So, it, you know, while these brands, while demand for these brands is as high historically I mean, as it's ever been. And is only growing. And and while there is a ton of money being pushed into that market, they're basically not changing anything. And, and in Rolex's case, maybe scaling back. Although I'm not sure that we know that. I can't say, I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that the scaling back is 100% intentional. When we look at the supply t- chain issues that are sweeping the globe, that plays a role. Mm. It's not it's not just their their production. It's in their manufacturing supply chain. I think that's that's a really key component. You're thinking I, like raw materials. Yeah, perhaps. I think that's gonna be that's gotta be a component. Maybe they are scaling back, but I, there, there's no I mean that's really leaving money on the table. Yeah. Well and, and there's certainly conspiracy theories abound, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but that's not really the point of what we're saying. We're rather right. just saying, you know, this these last 18 months, really, we've seen kind of unprecedented demand in, in the luxury watch market, in particular for those four brands. Mm-hmm. I don't think Longa is is having the same sort of... Probably not. Uh, but maybe, maybe it affects them as well. Probably not Chopard either. I mean... And to go back to your point, Andrew, what we've seen is an incredible amount of money being focused on the secondhand market, Mm -hmm. the third party, the gray market, perhaps in some instances. And I think we've seen something really happening, interesting happening with the secondhand places like Crown and Caliber, places like Chrono 24. Yeah. I mean, you can even watches that you can buy new inbox from a boutique today 
are more expensive in the secondary market. That blows me away. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. You, you know, I can't remember what watch <laughs> it was, but I was reading today about, I think it was a Nautilus that went on, that retailed for 34000 This is several months ago. Retailed for like thirty four grand, and then sold almost immediately thereafter at like four hundred and fifty grand. Right? There's just so much demand that these businesses, these formerly kind of small businesses, right? Crown and Caliber purchased by Hodinkee, famously in February of this mm-hmm. year, and, and and if as if that weren't enough, Hodinkee has on a completely other brand, started its own yeah. used watch market now where they have upwards of a 500 watches at any given time. So so it's not enough to have a pre-owned... An actual outlet. already built marketplace. <laughs> Why not just build a whole new one? Watches of, watches of Switzerland bought Analog Shift. I mm-hmm. think that that was last year. Um, I don't know. This year's been long. Chrono 24, I think, got like a billion dollars in VC, including LVMH money. Um, Watchbox, I think, has been discussing an IPO. You, you know, we've got this incredibly valuable, booming market in pre-owned watches. And, and I think that that's a huge story. I think I'm glad we're talking about it first because then we can move on. But this is the story of watches this year. At at least in the luxury segment. It it, it becomes less relevant as we go down downstream towards affordables and towards micros. But in in the big world of watches, supply has remained the same and demand has grown exponentially for who knows what reason. Yeah. And now no one can get anything yeah (laughs) yeah that's right yeah you make a good distinction as far as i know watch recon is not getting any swiss vc money probably not i mean you never know but as far as i know that's not happening right now there's a there's some swiss conspiracy that's that's what it is (laughs) but it's crazy i mean these are some big acquisitions and these are i mean relatively big companies on their own. I mean, these these are titans for all intents and purposes within this industry, merging, buying out. I mean, this is this, there's some consolidation here that's interesting. Yeah, and, and technology being what it is, technology is new until it's not. I think the idea of online watch sales until pretty recently was new. And, and now it just is not, right? And in fact, when I purchased my Speedmaster, there were lots of places that I could purchase a Speedmaster. I spent more money to go to Crown & Caliber because I wanted to have the backing of a big retailer behind the transaction. I felt safe. I felt secure. I felt confident that I was going to like what I got. Um, and, and and I don't know if that's completely rational, but there is a market for that. You're going to pay a premium. There's a market for that. Would you have felt safer if there was an Omega AD accessible to you going to an AD over Crown & Caliber? 
Yeah, you you know, it's an interesting question. Um, would I have felt safer? I, I'm not sure. I, I think I would have paid a little bit more than I wound up paying. You, you know, it it was an odd time. I, I haven't looked at Ome uh, Speedmaster prices in a while. but You could sell for quite a profit. Uh, I, could I? Yeah. Uh, I haven't looked at those prices in a while, but what I do know is that when I purchased, you could buy a brand new 1861 Speedmaster Professional for less money than I bought my pre-owned Crown and Caliber. And, and there was a gray market. You, you know, it's unclear to me why we prioritize the thing we do, we do in watches. And, and even for me, sometimes it's unclear to me why I prioritize those things i made the decision to go with second hand pre-owned from crown and caliber versus brand new from joma shop or whatever for about the same price so it, yeah the, it's a very very strange probably slightly irrational marketplace and it's it's worth what you'll pay for i mean we saw uh, a wellsbro on chrono 24 for 2400 yeah that's right pending yeah the the they sold it for 95 i think that's right yep so a two a 1900 i'm not going to exaggerate a 1900 markup mm -hmm. and we were discussing it we were trying to we even discussed this with with rich and katie yeah how do you value this watch yeah and i i had a friend who reached out and saw them and saw they were all sold out and asked if i had a line on anybody trying to offload one and i was like and this is a week later and i was like dude these are going to sell for cost like what the person paid for them maybe less a little bit or 1500 bucks the market is going to decide what these sell for super limited really unique more than the sum of its parts and the sum of its parts are more than its original cost it's just a bizarro thing, but we see it, you know, for sale on Chrono for twenty four hundred bucks, and yeah. it's going to sell for twenty four hundred bucks. Yeah, we. I think we're going to talk about these guys a little bit later, and so I don't yeah. mean to to get too into this, but we. I talked to Rich that day. I sent him a, that link and said, Dude, "Have you seen this?" And he's like, "Yeah, I've seen that." Um, you, you know, it, it's. I think for a guy like Rich, who knows. So much about watches. You, you know, if, if you've ever met someone that knows so much about watches that it makes you feel like you know nothing, uh, you'll know Rich, right? Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, for a guy like that, he's got to make decisions about pricing. Mm -hmm. and, and those decisions are not obvious. You, you know, it, it's a little bit different for someone who's making a microbrand through an OEM. You've got cost of goods. Mm -hmm. You've got packaging. You've got shipping. Super clear-cut cost. And then you've got yeah. a margin, right? Yeah. For a guy like Rich doing what he's doing, it's a much more difficult decision. And, and it, it it is a decision that mm -hmm. has to be made. Yeah. I feel like there's some danger there in the gray market pricing, people coming to accept it that it impacts primary market pricing models. Well, yeah, I think that that's, that's a risk. That's sure. concerning to me for, for future acquisitions. It's like, well, people have said that they're going to pay this much for it and we charge this much for it. So 
let's let's close that delta a little bit. All right. <laughs> All right. What we got next here? Oh. Can Listen. we talk about just the disaster of the year, perhaps? That was kind of just a flash in the pan, despite how angry everyone got about it. I assume you're referring to the Ming customer service fiasco that took place earlier this this year. And this the production, summer. the whole the whole thing. That release. Can we yeah. talk about it? I think we can talk about it, Andrew. You know, we have on this show oftentimes made decisions not to talk about a thing that was happening. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, thought that goes into those decisions for us. Um, most of the thought process I think we've had before, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't have to have it actively every time, but no, we, you can get your news elsewhere. We've made decisions to sort of not be controversial, not be clickbaity, not to talk about the thing that's happening that we almost certainly have heard about and are reading about and care about because we care about watches. We kind of stay away from that because it's provocative and and maybe not all that valuable. And by the time you get to Thursday morning, if you need a break, we're there for that. Um, yeah. W- whether that's good or bad, uh, you know, Scottish watches, I know, is the opposite, right? Those guys are constantly talking about what's happening in watches. And, and I really appreciate it. They do it two times a week. And if you want to know what's happening in watches, you listen to Scottish watches. You listen to us if you want to know what happened in watches 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> or what you bought you or, should buy. Or much longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Or about the Huguenots. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Ming, I don't. We don't need to talk about the watches. You know, Ming has released a number of very interesting watches in these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they are one of the most unique watch companies out there. They're making it's fair, really novel designs, beautiful watches, well manufactured watches, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and 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 more than that, I think they're making interesting watches. So concur. In that process, they have, they're a small company though, right? Yeah. This is not Longa. This is not Chopard, right? They do not have a legacy. They do not have cachet in that way. Or an army of Swiss watchmakers at their disposal. Or or uh, unlimited unlimited bank accounts or a foundation or anything like that, right? So they're selling watches. They're modifying movements. Yeah. They're doing interesting orological things, but they're doing it on a razor's edge. Yeah. They are pushing their personal limits in order to bring something truly interesting. And they are not charging what Chopard would charge for those watches, in part because they're not making the the movements. You, you know, there's all sorts of reasons for that, but they are floating above that razor's edge. And so a company like that, when they have problems, has a really narrow hole, uh, what, what do you call that? The eye of the needle oh, yeah. to thread. Super small. And... Bless their hearts, 
I think Ming has taught us some incredible customer service lessons this year. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, that's the story. I think so. And and I think one of the ones that I want to highlight, and because I'm most interested by it, and, I, and frankly, I, I think I can see their argument. Somebody blew up the forums with an email he received back. It was basically, no, you can't buy this watch. Here's your money back. You've already returned one of our watches. And you're added to our blacklist. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, maybe even slightly worse than that. So this person had a complaint about Loom on hands. Basically had received one of their, I think, 2019 releases. Didn't like the Loom application. Based on his pictures was totally a reasonable gripe. Yeah. And and Ming basically said, well, look, this is super luminova. It's a liquid application. You're going to have variants. This is within our tolerances. We will take your watch back and return your money. And unbeknownst to you, as you stated, Andrew, we'll mm-hmm. blacklist you. So when he bought, I think it was the Ming Messina. It was this last release that had all the other issues. Because if this was if this was any of their other Ming releases that he had the issue with, no one would have seen it. Right. This was him piling on <laughs> the, the vitriol that was already being spewed at Ming over this release. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, I think, so, so, so two things happened. One, one Ming released, I think it's the 17.09. I, I want to say it was the Messina Labs collab that had some alignment issues. And it seems that those alignment issues had to do with a modification on a movement mm-hmm. that made a, a standard 24 hour hand into a jumping hour, something like that. They, they basically made something jumping hour that wasn't supposed to be jumping hour and the torque caused alignment issues, blah, blah, blah. blah Which blah, is blah, problematic. Blah, blah. That was, that's, that's maybe the source of the issue. You, you can't super mod something. And, and, so, and then they were not immediately apologetic, right? They sort of rejected some of the sta- statements and kind of, poo-pooed people on social media who were complaining um what what watch people wanted is for them to be like look we're really sorry this sucks there's a big screw up here we're going to take your watches back we're going to fix it and and i think they did eventually get there Mm -hmm. but in the meantime i think they maybe took the risk that people like snarky customer service responses I think they, they rolled those dice. You think it was on purpose? I think there was some of that in the beginning, and then they were like, oh, fuck, this is actually a problem. Now we got we to gotta reel this back because we have grossly mishandled this. Right. So then, and just to be clear, you guys, this isn't us shitting on Ming because I don't think either one of us has a strong opinion about no. Ming. I think that they make really beautiful watches. Um, I probably wouldn't personally buy one if I was going to spend that kind of money on a watch. Um, but... Customer service, right? I think that's, for me, that's the takeaway. They have taught some lessons in terms of how not to do customer service in mm-hmm. a social media-driven world. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back in the old days, you could send an email, and you know, to get forwarded around, but not to the same pool of people that a couple Instagram posts and hashtags will get you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Ming. But I wonder if that guy was ever ever unblacklisted and able to buy the watch. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I didn't see any follow up because that was one of those stories that was like it's there and then it's not. But well, and it's not because either the company resolves it or the person didn't actually care. And I think that's what we miss when we see these big drama stories. And it, this kind of goes for all media outlets and all news outlets. We see the crescendo of conflict, and then we forget about it. And the conflict is all we remember. And not the resolution. Because I think Ming does come out in the end and make things right. But we don't remember that. We just remember them blacklisting a dude and being really shitty with people who are like, no, no, no my thing is broken. Like, right? It's very broken. So two more sort of industry news things. One of these is a watch, although we're not going to put it on the watches that we're, we're digging this year. Rather, this is, I, I think, fits more appropriately in the industry news. Omega... Omega. Omega. Yeah, that's how I prefer you say it. Finally, finally put a coaxial movement in the Speedmaster. Andrew, do you have thoughts? Or, I, I or do, do we leave it right there? <laughs> I do like the the latest release bracelet. I think that's a that was a good change. I do like the bracelet. The rest of it is to, pretty much lost on me because... The Speedmaster's lost on me because it doesn't fit me right. If it fit me right, I'd be very interested. Yeah, you know, in many respects, this is just a Speedmaster, right? New bracelet, mm-hmm. five links, still Hesalite, still Sapphire. Still 50 meters of water resistance. Why? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that that's a fair criticism. You, you know, all of a sudden, now you've got a modern, arguably one of the, if not the best you know, standard caliber movements on the face of the earth. You've got this upgraded bracelet, upgraded clasp, really more than anything. Um, But you're not going to give us the water resistance that you should have just given us 30 years ago. 50 years ago. You're not going to fix the one glaring, blaring, glaring, glaring. The one, the the biggest issue with this watch, it's not the Hesalite because that's a, that's a, a, decision it's the 50 meters of water resistance this could be should be more it already engineered within it has the capacity to have more water resistance and i think frankly it probably is rated to 100 meters but they keep it at 50 because the the, because of the dot over 60 people or the dot over 90 people right (laughs) yeah they hold it there they hold that stupid water resistance rating rather than just i think it's probably rated much higher than is is listed. You mean it could be rated higher than it is? Yeah. Just based on the specs. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but but I agree with you. So, uh, in any of it, big watch news: thirty eight sixty one caliber Speedmaster Professional. Evidently, I do care with a co- <laughs> with a coaxial movement. Uh, a little bit above the price point we typically talk about, but I think you know maybe the most popular watch on earth. Well, certainly, it's certainly not. Certainly, the sub is it's the most top, popular. It's a top five, probably. Um, I, I'm going to put it number two behind the sub, but in any event, up there with the most popular watches on Earth, and it finally gets Omega's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful coaxial movement. Good move, Omega. Which you could have done much sooner. <laughs> and the last yeah. piece of industry Don't sort miss. of catch-ups that's relevant <laughs> to us, I think, Um Seiko. Seiko 
doing Seiko things again. Yes. How exciting was this year for entry level Seiko? So it was it was a little bittersweet for me uh, because we see a lot of the darlings of the entry level world kind of fade out in the last eighteen months. Sarbs, there's still some new in box available, but you can't get them from you can't get them on Amazon. Yeah, right? six hundred seven hundred bucks for a Sarb, and that you're you're seeing them on Watch Recon or I mean, you find them on but like on eBay selling at seven eight. I mean. I think probably in the next two years we'll see them used, not just new in box, but used at the thousand dollar mark. Yeah, that seems reasonable. And you know, the SKX has gone the same way. The SNK has gone the same way. These like really, yeah, SNK is still under hundred bucks, but yeah, that's still that's higher than it was three years ago. Right, and and I I wouldn't be surprised to see that on the next of their chopping block because of the five series coming in to fill to backfill that with something else. So seeing these darlings go is a little bittersweet. These kind of prospect watches go, but the but everything that Seiko's backfilling with and their stratification has been really fascinating. I think they're being much more deliberate about their stratification of like these are our eight hundred dollar watches. They all cost eight hundred dollars. They all have really similar specs. These are our five hundred dollar watches that are mm-hmm. all really spec similarly and that's how much they cost. And then these are our sub three hundred dollar watches. They've got good specs. There's no anomalies in their affordable watches anymore. There's no like, wait, what? Why is that yeah. so fucking dope and only this many money? Right. They they've they've segmented it out, I think, in a much cleaner way. To create very noticeable, very entry level watches that are attractive, that have great movements in them, that are specced well, then you can move up a tier and get good specs, still really attractive, and then you can get into their like eight hundred to thousand dollar range, and and that's kind of I think where you're yeah eight hundred to two thousand. I'd, yeah, I'd eight, open eight that up two, a little yeah. bit. But that's where you're seeing the like, oh wait, what do you have at this price point? They're they're bringing the heat at a higher price point, and I think. They moved towards that. That's where they started focusing their efforts rather than drop having these banging watches at sub $500. They're having banging watches between 800 and 2000, which is cool. But their, their lineup now is robust. When we yeah. saw them, we saw them deleting SKUs and we we're like, Oh, is Seiko going to go down to like only 200 SKUs this year? I mean, what are they doing? And they just kind of cleaned out the inventory and then they blew back up. Yeah. Yeah, that's that seems like exactly what happened. Yeah, <coughs> you, you know, I, I think I'm most interested. There's a couple watches that came out this year that really interest me. Um, w- one of those we've talked about on the show before, the Seiko SRPG, mm-hmm. which is the 40 millimeter SNK. Which yep. is that's what it is. It's a 40 millimeter Seiko Five Sports SNK. Wonderful dials. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't know the reference as I sit here today, but there's a blue dial. It's got a a bronze applied marker on it. Yeah. And that watch is absolutely fantastic. I want to say the case is stonewashed. Interesting. It tumbled? is tumbled. Yeah. Yes. It's excellent. It's the, excellent. The only the only problem with those that series is they aren't spec'd as well as the SNK. Or is the SKX? It, certainly not. They're yeah. not yeah. So so the Seiko Five Sports, the SKX lookalikes, hundred meter, not a dive watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, visually it's the same watch. identical it's a clone yeah um but but not spec as well and then the srpg the snk clones um i i think they're spec better 
uh, yes, than the SNK. Which is so. why I, I think the the SNK will be uh, will be the next on the deletion list. Yeah, no, it, it, if it hasn't been deleted already. Yeah. So the other watch I think that Seiko came out with this year that I really love, and not even necessarily for myself, I just love the direction, is the 38 millimeter Prospect Solar Diver. Yeah. So $500 watch, not a cheap watch, not a cheap watch, but a really interesting, I mean, just the decision making, 38 millimeters first for a dive watch. And it's not like a itty bitty watch. It's still like a... It's still got all the bulk. A, a big motherfucker. Um, but solar, solar prospects, highly, uh, you know, high degree of finishing on the case, decent-ish bracelet. Looks banging on rubber, though, which I think is how most people are wearing them. All rubber all the time. Yeah. Uh, I was really excited by the Alpinist reissue that came out this year. Y- yeah, I know you were. I t- hate, hate <laughs> the leather strap that's available on all of them. I, I, as much as I like the watch, I will, I will find one secondhand that comes with no strap. I'll pay more for it to not ever have to deal with the strap <laughs> what's your objection really it, well i mean you just don't like i hate i just don't like the style and yeah. i know it's it's there it's what they decided to go with it's just not i don't i don't want to see it in real life i don't want it in my house i just and just to be clear we're talking about the laurel reissue yeah. the the og reissue yeah, the single the, crown yeah yeah it looks good though i like that lineup because the previous one, the kind of sandy textured iteration, I wasn't a big fan of. So that's our year in industry news. So this is where we say, what did we miss? What are we wrong about? What would you add to what we said? Yeah. And we're going to leave it there. We're going to leave it there. We will. Timex fell, came up short, I think, on the expectations we had for him. I think they did. I also think they did really well. They did. But they came up shorter than I expected because they did some cool shit this year. Timex, yeah. I, I think Timex, in many respects, knocked it out of the park. But for a brand as big as they are, they are slow rolling their move back to importance, I think. Yeah, because they're postured so well. Yeah. And they're just, there's there's a reason they're not striking. But yeah, they're postured really well to do so. So you holler back. We're going to talk about some watches. That Clap like. back at us, if you will. Clap back. <laughs> I think that's a thing. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I've heard it said. Yeah, it's gonorrhea, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can I start? No. I'm going yes. to. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you want to talk about? Wells, bro. Yeah. Yeah, can we talk about Wells, bro? I mean, we've already talked about Wells, bro. What? Yeah, which means that unfortunately we can't give them the more, any, a whole lot more time now, but... A zombie brand using not zombie or using actual zombie parts, right? right? We get all these zombie brands who are doing brand new manufacturing. You know, maybe they can get some new in box or new old stock. They 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 have some kind of homage to the original, you know, to to its life form before it became a zombie. But not with Wellsbro. Hmm. Wellsbro's using for the like for the real core zombie stuff. And then infusing yeah. it with some like just fun, cool, really modern. It's it's perhaps the strangest watch brand 
on the planet right now. It is. And the most exciting. Yeah, I I agree with you on both accounts. They're weird as shit in terms of her brand. Rich, also kind of weird, but love the guy. Katie, less weird. I liked her a lot. She seems like just like she's going to hold them together in the normal department. Yeah. But also responsible for those fucking lunchboxes. Yeah, which is weird. The whole thing is weird. It's not. This is not just a watch brand. This felt to me very, very so labs, very um, uh, the the shark, uh, shit, the digital, the the divers, or not the divers, but the surf brand. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The shark, the shark digitals, very like lifestyle brand with watches as a centerpiece, <laughs> a horology lifestyle brand. Yes, <laughs> it's but it was like nerdy and cool, and it. it Everyone who looked at those lunchboxes was like, I didn't have that lunchbox, obviously, as a kid, but I had that fucking lunchbox. Right. That's me. Like, they just, they hit the nail on the head in the way of capturing the nostalgia of our childhood without being tacky about it. Yeah. How do they do what they've done and do it so tastefully? I don't know. <laughs> you, you know that you never you never um expect to see the unexpected by nature right mm-hmm. um but it's not unexpected that's the thing it's so familiar it, that's right you it, it's it's utterly out of nowhere and unexpected and also so comfortable yeah uh, really really without a doubt you know i won't say the most interesting watches of the year no, because their watches are cool, incredibly cool. Obviously, five hundred dollar retail price selling for two thousand twenty three hundred. These are Rolex markups, yeah, <laughs> right, um, and, and incredibly scarce too. There just weren't very many of them. So, so the but the watches in and of themselves are a small portion of the story. Rather, the brand, how interesting, how different. This is not Tornick Rayville. Yeah. Or whatever other name your zombie brand. This is something wholly different, really exciting. I I am very, very optimistic for those guys because they're so smart and they're so laser focused on what they're doing. But it'll be cool to see what they do next because, man. Spoiler alert, we've seen some. Right. <laughs> and it's really cool. Uh, can I talk about one that I really like? Please. I think my my most favorite, uh, my most favorite sort of new brand that we talked about this year, uh, in fact, person that we talked to about their brand, uh, is Arkin Watch. Kenneth Lamb of Arkin. Yep. Uh, I don't get the feeling that this watch has been as popular as I, as popular as I expected it to be. As popular as it was. This was a darling. Everyone was talking about it. Prior to pre-order. Yeah. (laughs) But I still love it. I I do too. You know, I I know that he said, I'm going to make 300 and I'm just going to make 300 and it doesn't matter how fast I sell them, 300 is the number. I believe he's not quite there yet. Yeah, I checked today. With that said, uh, you, you know, say what you will about about the watch itself. You know, I, 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 we talk to people all day long about watches, right? Mm-hmm. In particular, the 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 
watch of the week or whatever when we have an owner on. We talk to a lot of people about that watch. Um, and I think for every like hell yeah comment we got, we got a comment that was like, gosh, I just don't know if that's for me, that the, there's a lot happening there. Yeah. And so I think that the design of that watch may be a little divisive. Um, but notwithstanding that, what you get, titanium, all things custom, mm-hmm. custom hands, custom dial. And I don't just mean custom. I mean actually engineered and balanced by Kenneth Lamb. Um, I just think that's an incredible watch. And I haven't purchased one, and maybe I should. I know that they're more expensive now than they were in those first couple of weeks. But uh, I just think that's a fantastic offering. It it really is. I mean, the design's something, and I haven't purchased one because it's it's not for me. Yeah, that's right. Can, You're that guy. I, I'm that guy. I dig this watch. I like it. If you gave me one, I would wear it. But it's just not for me. It's a super utilitarian titanium dive tool watch. And that's just not not the flavor I'm digging right now. But if it was, I'd get on and get it at 430 pounds right now. Because <laughs> there's only going to be 300 of them. That's it. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool fucking watch. And, I, and Kenneth Lamb was super cool. He's got great ideas, I think, coming down the pipe. And I think this is this is going to be a brand that we'll, we'll continue to see for a while. Yeah. Well, I hope so, right? <clears throat> I certainly hope so, too. You, you know, I did, get the, I did get the feel from him that he's, uh, if, if you're listening, Kenneth, don't be offended. But I did get the luster of uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, naivete from him right um I, I don't know that he was fully prepared for the realities of doing this thing from scratch on his own maybe i think that's a that's a strength as much as it is a weakness i, I think you're right yeah it, it depends on how he bounces and and because of that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed naivete, he's made this really incredible watch, yeah. I think. So um, we wish nothing but the best for him, obviously. What do you got? I'm ready to talk about another one that uh, got me really excited. Tented your pants. It, it Yeah, several times. Citizen did a digital Star Wars collection. Oh, yeah. Very much like the... Uh, world timer very similar layout but all star wars themed right the rebel pilot the trench run darth vader which is all blacked out r2d2 is exactly what you'd expect it to be it's silver white and blue (laughs) there's a c3po which is the the gold version bubba fett i don't really get because there's not enough green they should have done a green bracelet in case but you know whatever (laughs) we'll we'll deal with that but just a super fun if you didn't know it was Star Wars, you would think it was just any other square digital watch. Yeah. Like kind of the kind of the fuck you, you don't know what I'm wearing, like like wearing wearing socks. Like I I used to have sales meetings on Monday and I wore socks on Mondays. Like they were my Monday socks. 
and th- they said this meeting is bullshit on them. <laughs> <laughs> and I, those were my meeting socks. Yeah. And I would sit and I would cross my leg and I would just make sure that my pants came up enough to say, like, to make this meeting as bullshit visible on my, my pant cuff. Um, <laughs> but that's very much how this watch feels. It's, it's not a professional watch by any means, but it's just a really classic, like, 80s feeling square digital. Yeah. With Star Wars that only you can see. If you if you had to pick one of these, do you have a favorite? Oh, if I have to pick this one, I think I go the C three PO because I think a, a totally gold square digital is in my future. Yeah, I, I think I'm a Darth Vader man, but but I agree with you. C three PO is a close second for yeah. me. The trend trend is kind of a bummer. It is, and 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 so is Boba Fett. But the other four, and they've got some others. So they've got they've got an analog edition, and they've got a Millennium Falcon that looks. Oddly, in its in its chronograph design, very much like the Millennium Falcon, without being the shape of the Millennium Falcon, it's kind of impressive. Yeah, I don't um, dig the three handers of these. They're, uh, they're a bit of a miss. I feel like if you're going to go cartoon, I mean, you you look at Timex. Or is, yeah, who did the Pac Man? Timex uh, did the Pac Man. I think Timex, Timex or Casio. Yeah, yeah, one or the other. But I th- I think there was a cool uh, moment for '80s throwback uh, media to be integrated into watches this year. And I think that was just a fun, a fun time. And we needed that this year. Yeah, I've changed my mind, Andrew. <clears throat> yeah. It's C3PO. Yeah. It's dope. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. What about, what it's ab- also 300 bucks, which I don't get. And I, and is why I don't have one. So as eighties as these watches are the most seventies watch release of the year, I think, uh, the Tissot yeah. PRX. Yeah. You know, it, it, as I thought that came out last year. So, so these both came out in 2021. So both, so they they debuted, I think, in January, the oh, okay. quartz version, and then later June or so, they backed it up with a Powermatic mm-hmm. 80 automatic mm-hmm. version. I remember that release because you were talking about 80 hour power shift. So these are a remake of a 1970s. Rolex Oyster Quartz homage and Citizen, so, so Tiso, not Citizen, Tiso, Tits Out, mm-hmm. re- did an homage to the Oyster Quartz in the 70s. And now they've re released it, and enough time has passed that it's no longer an Oyster Quartz homage because it stands alone. It stands alone. <laughs> Uh, they've done this both in quartz, which is obviously the OG, and with this wonderful twenty-eight, twenty-four based Powermatic movement. Um, I think that this watch is maybe here to stay. I, I, I hope it is. I hope it is. It's a six hundred and fifty dollar, super well done, or three fifty. I think yeah, for quartz, for, yeah, yeah, which is which speaks to the whatever. Uh, Three colorways. I hope this is here to stay because this is this is something I I I could pretty easily buy and would really happily wear. Pure seventies, but still really modernized, kind of timeless design cues on it. Um, it's amazing to me that this watch, which is so instantly seventies, is also so instantly timeless. And and say what you will, I think this is essentially a Genta design. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, so so it makes sense. But 
I think, you know, for me, this is like one of three TSOs that doesn't suck. You like all the Powermatic 80s. No, I don't like, I like that movement for, for and, and we've discussed whether or not that makes sense for us. And I think we've both decided it doesn't. It, it, there's no utility for for guys like us. With that said, I think it's a crazy cool movement. Um, but I don't like any TSOs. This is it. There's a bunch that suck. This is, but this is kind of the peak of TSO right now. What do you got? I put my money where my mouth is on this one. Oh, let's hear it. The Christopher Ward C63. Ah, yes. So I got, as you all have seen, the uh, just the base Sealander automatic. And you've all heard it, but when we saw the first press releases that were under embargo, it was like, well, when this thing comes out, I'm buying one. Because holy shit, right. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what they did with the C63 was... I'm drooly, what do you want? I'm looking at pictures of it. <laughs> and we just had tits out on the screen. Come on. <laughs> they did something cool with doing a family with three really different watches. Yeah, yeah really different watches. But they all have... I mean, they're siblings, they just released green. They also did their uh, their ocean plastic. These are just cool. That green dial, that green dial was nice. It, it is. It's one of the. I think one of the few greens that I that I really like. There's not very many good green dials out there. There's a lot of bad ones though. Right. A lot of bad ones. <laughs> the, the, and so the Sealander automatic on a bracelet, eight hundred and fifteen bucks. And for what you're getting out of it, you're getting almost Monta level finishing. Not quite, just a just a hair off, but almost Monta level finishing. Great movement, great holy or, or Norcane or name yeah, your take your pick excessively of, priced <clears throat> micro brand. Take your two thousand dollar pick, right? Yeah. Awesome case, super legible, super comfortable. Slight miss on the bracelet because there's not enough taper. The best case, the best case in the under two thousand dollar market, right? I yeah, mean, without a doubt. Yeah, I think I. It, I think it beats. I, I mean, it, as much as we get accused of being Monta fanboys because we are, um, and if I, you're I don't. Not, you're wrong. I don't think that that case comes close to competing with the light light catcher case. I think it's. I think it's different. Of course, very, very much by design different. The light, the C sixty three is noticeably bigger. I don't think you could achieve that case in the same compact package that yeah. Monta is. It's just a very different beast. The case is phenomenal. The finishing is phenomenal. The price is money, and and it's such a. It, it's just it's great. I love it. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention one final watch. Yeah, because this one really got our motors going. <laughs> the Brewmetric. Yeah. What in the world? What a weird, odd, like nothing I've ever seen, just totally delightful watch. I got an opportunity to play with these in New York. You did not. I'm uh, sorry. No, thank you. Appreciate the reminder. Size is perfect. <clears throat> Dial elements are perfect. It's just delightful. Everything about this watch. So if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, go 
Google. Google, pull over first. Perhaps. Go to Brew's website. You could go to brew.com. Or is it brewwatches.com? It's brewwatches. Brewwatches.com, yeah. Brew.com, that would be a good catch. Uh, brewwatches. Look at the metric. It is... Yeah. Brew it's weird. Watches. It's also so 70s. And and early, right after his uh, the last release, the, the Retro Magic, I, I, in private, voiced that I was concerned for his future. And I was like, he's achieved these really unique designs and been met with really great responses. Yeah. I'm scared he can't hold this momentum. You you mean in terms of new 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 things? Yeah, so I said that after the retro magic. And then this came out, the metric. I don't have that fear anymore. It's yeah. You, you know, he still can't make enough watches. You, you know, we've talked a lot about certain micro brands. I know Laurier, you know, a year ago even was having a hard time keeping watches in stock. I think they've caught up. Baltic has largely caught up. Traska is so straight sold out. I mean, Traska yeah. is still struggling to meet stock yeah. because they're making incredible watches. John also, you know, I think that this released during wind up on Friday of wind up. I think this released and it was sold out in a matter of minutes, you know, for a brand that's been around for a long time, who's making not entry level stocking decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, he can't keep watches in stock. So, uh, you, you know, it's a good problem to have though. If you have to have a problem, it's yeah, certainly better than sitting on you know a million dollars of inventory. You, you know, I'm not sure John would feel that way. You know, having talked to this guy a lot, I think that he really struggles with his inability to make his customers happy, all of his customers happy. And I think a lot of people wanted this watch that weren't able to get one. I'm sure there will be more, and I'm sure everybody will get their opportunity. Um, Are but, they really your customer if they haven't bought your watch? Right. <laughs> Prospective customers, yeah. I'll say. He wants to make the people happy, and I think that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, but I, I, I think in the way of problems to have, it's you know it sucks. Yeah, but it's certainly better than than the alternative of making a shitty watch that people don't buy. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's right, buddy. Hey, uh, I'm looking at Falcon Twos right now. <laughs> the green one. Uh, you know. The the green and gilt doesn't do it for me. The white really gets me going though. Yeah, the that black dial Falcon too, I think, is my is my jammy yeah. jam. Yeah. It's available. Andrew. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things. Other things. Can we talk about other things? Because I think we've done reviewed the year of twenty twenty one. I have another thing. What do you got, man? So if you haven't Check out the movie Chef. It's a John Favreau movie. So good. Super good. <laughs> There's a spinoff. Of Chef? It's called The Chef Show. The premise of the show is that while they were filming Chef, uh, Roy Choi was basically John Favreau's cooking coach. And they did all this traveling, like... Uh, food traveling, like gastro tourism for prep for the movie. And afterwards they were like, this is fun. 
And there's something here. There's now four volumes, two seasons, so parts one and two, available on Netflix, primarily featuring Jon Favreau and Roy Choi as they travel the United States and go to these really unique, really cool, really great restaurants, eateries, bakeries, take your pick, and they cook with the owners, executive chefs, you know, exactly who you think they're going to cook with. And it is fun. It's it's very, uh, I mean, it's a cooking show, but not, it, it's kind of Anthony Bourdain-ish. It's very much the human story behind it with John Favreau as a completely amateur, but also pretty good chef working alongside with these people, talking to them, like learning their 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 skill sets learning about why they're doing what they're doing how they're doing it the story behind these restaurants these eateries that he's working with these people at and it's super fun it's kind of watch related because i watched most of the episodes today (laughs) (laughs) and he does one with wolfgang puck at his uh cut restaurant in vegas i want to say it's at the mirage i don't i'm probably wrong i don't remember where it is it doesn't matter at cut and the whole time i keep seeing this ill-fitting monster watch on wolf's wrist and then finally there's a shot close enough and i was like oh that's a panerai and i like kind of in the back of my mind knew that wolf is like a panerai guy just judging the shit out of him but it's not it's not just ill-fitting Some people wear their watch on top. Totally normal way to wear your watch. Some people wear it on the inside of your wrist. Very tactical way to wear your watch. His is so ill-fitting on a strap, mind you, that it's on the outside of his wrist facing totally out. Like, And there's such that there's no way to comfortably look at your watch. But that's what he's wearing. And he's wearing this, like one of the Panerai submersibles or something like that. Um, he's also an asshole. Wolfgang like, Puck is an yeah. asshole, yeah. But hearing him say fuck was like kind of a weird thing for me. I was like, huh. That makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. Makes perfect sense. But huh. I didn't see that coming from this like sweet, iconic chef old man. Because you know Gordon Ramsay. You expect that from Gordon Ramsay. You don't expect it from Wolf. But you get it. And the food's phenomenal. Everything they're making is just is is really really deliberate and thoughtful and, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's watching watching art. There's a banana cream pie homage that I rewound and watched occur several times. I paused it and made my wife watch it. It's fantastic. I will tell you about it once we're done recording. But the Chef Show, John Favreau, Roy Choi, traveling the United States. Cooking with some of the greatest chefs in America. Can, can I do a couple of add-ons to Please. your other thing? Yeah. These are other thing bonuses. Yeah. So first, I know your other thing is the chef show. Also, I'm just going to say, if you haven't watched the movie Chef, you should, because it's a delightful movie. It is. It's a delightful movie. Also, if you're going to watch the movie Chef, before you press play, go to your closest market. And I don't mean Safeway or Vons or whatever. I mean, go to a nice market. Get some good ham, <laughs> get some good Swiss cheese, and get a baguette because you are. Oh, you need pickles too. But I disagree. Ha- I think get sourdough, but get a baguette. 
a baguette. That's a Cuban comes on a baguette. Anyway, you're gonna want to make a Cuban sandwich. In fact, you you're you're gonna need to make a Cubano afterward. Right. Like it's it's not just gonna be like I want to. It's like you're, you're gonna need it. You're gonna DoorDash it from however far they will deliver from if necessary. Yes. You'll yes. pay thirty five dollars in fees. Second add on. This is not my other thing. But you mentioned the banana cream pie scene and that you rewound it and you should Sam. If you're this is I'm, this is a, a ancillary add-on. If you're ever in Portland, if you're ever in Portland and you do one thing in Portland, don't go to Multnomah Falls. I mean Pass. Do, it's a waterfall. Everywhere has waterfalls. waterfall. Well, Nebraska doesn't have waterfalls. Don't go to Voodoo Donuts. Pass. It's a donut. It's a it's a donut. Uh don't do the things on the tourist list. Go to the vegan strip club. Maybe do that. But also, go to a place called Papa Hyden's. Yep. And get the banana cream pie. Yep. Because it is... So Papa Hyden's, H-A-Y-D-N-S, I think. It's a German restaurant. It's a dessert, it's a dessert restaurant. <laughs> and the banana cream pie will change your life. I have had a lot of banana cream pies... Papa Hyden's banana cream pie is life-altering good. It's good. It's also a place called Banning's. 24-hour diner, a lot of pies. <laughs> there you go. Um, I've got another thing. Do me. And it's not Papa Hyden's is banana it cream pie. It, it's also not that, although I'm a pie man. You are a pie man. I'm a pie man. Pie guy. Pie guy. Uh, Dave. Have we talked about Dave? We have not. So we, I've watched, I, which is weird because we've watched it. You, you've watched Dave. I've watched Dave. I've recently watched Dave again with my wife because. Uh, oh, interesting. <laughs> yes, yes, interesting. <laughs> so there's a rapper called Little Dicky, Lil Dicky, Lil Dicky. There's no T's. Lil Dicky, aka Dave, who became famous about four or five years ago with a song called "Ex Boyfriend," mm -hmm. which is phenomenal. Uh, not commercially marketable because it's got stolen beats, uh, but it doesn't matter. Everyone does it on YouTube. It's not a big deal. It's really <laughs> callback. Uh, really good, really good. But but also just this really, you know, funny, good rapper. Anyway, he's uh, really self aware. Anyway, he hooked up with <laughs> he hooked up with a great producer, uh, and they made a show. And it's called Dave, which is his name. And he says, hi, I'm Dave. Uh, and it's so good. It's irreverent, I think, mm -hmm. is an understatement. That's the right word. Uh, it, it's the right word, but an understatement. Yeah. There is... It's irreverent the way South Park is reverent. There is poop and genital humor in this movie that will make you squirm because it makes me squirm and i'm the least squirmy guy on the face of the earth it makes me giggle like a child it's a mess uh and but that is not the show no which is that's that's the most interesting part you will not be sure about the show you will be two seasons in one point nine seasons into this thing mm -hmm. and still not be completely sure um 1.9 seasons yeah um it it's fantastic watching it the second time with kim it's like man oh man it, yeah it's it's a really special show 
It's because it's it's got all that really dirty, raunchy humor that you'd expect out of like South Park. Out Prurient. of it's always yeah, out of like always sunny, but it's got this really charming, innocent humor that you, like comes from Monk, where it's it's like or Ted Lasso. Yeah, or Ted Lasso. It's just it's this interesting marriage of really wholesome charming slightly schadenfreude raunch <laughs> with an introspective spin yeah and uh an empathetic goal yeah. that it never quite achieves yeah because because dave if you knew dave little dicky in real life you would hate that guy you would see him and you wouldn't just cross the street to avoid him you'd return to your car and go home yeah you you don't want to spend a moment with this guy the character in the show which Mm -hmm. is which we are led to believe is very much based on his Mm self-perception of his own growth but in the show you you love him you feel for him like you you it's this really it's it's a fascinating like Look at yourself and and how you how you relate to people. So we are both sharing this. I'm sharing this as my other thing. Andrew is endorsing, I yeah. believe, my other thing. We can also, on behalf of our editor in chief, Daddy, endorsing it. So yeah. all three of us now, and I believe senior writer Mike Razak as well. I don't. I th- are, are you sure that wasn't one of the ones that he just declined and refused? <laughs> it's possible. He does. He Mike has a few shows that he. Hasn't watched, and because we endorse it, will not. <laughs> General, I can't say that I blame him. In any event, at least three of us have watched this and all have all been stunned. I think that that's the right word. Stunned yeah. by the quality of the character development and the, the, production, hu- the human yeah. insight, production value. The Rick Rubin episode is just like <laughs> uh, really, really good, you guys. Uh, also, Rick Rubin, probably not in the Rick Rubin episode. Um, Andrew? I think we did it. We did it. We fully and comprehensively reviewed all the releases and all the watch things that happened this year. (laughs) (laughs) Never have we... So we do this often. I don't know that we've ever done it quite so glaringly incompletely. No, because it was just so comprehensive it was perfect i don't think we missed anything so look you guys genuinely honestly seriously maybe put like a big heading at the top of your message that says my comments regarding your urine review because i do think we should revisit this i think in late november early december we should revisit this um and, and talk about what else happened but this is sort of our our setup for a proper full complete year in review this is what was important to us what's important to you yeah kind of a q a session Hey, thanks guys for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the watch clicker podcast. You can check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20 at the watch clicker. We can now share links and stories. You guys just a huge thing. Thank you. Meta. Uh, <laughs> you can check us out on the website, watchclicker.com. That's where we post articles <laughs> and every single episode of this podcast. If you want to support us, you can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Really, guys, do it. If you listen, you've listened 100 episodes. Just fucking 
give us a buck. It would really change our lives. Uh, and don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.